Back in February of this year, 12-year-old Ryder Day of Meadow, Texas accomplished something uh, pretty amazing. Now, if you don't know where Meadow, Texas is, it's probably good reason. Meadow is a uh, thriving uh, suburb of Ropesville. According to the last census, uh, 593 people live in Meadow, but none of them, I would dare say, have risen to the heights of Ryder Day. Because as you can see from this uh, picture here, on February 7th, his steer, Cupid Shuffle, was named the Grand Champion Steer at the Fort Worth Southwest Exposition and Livestock Show. Thousands of steers were entered into the show, but there can only be one Grand Champion. It was the first time since 1982 that a Hereford won. But if that wasn't enough, Cupid Shuffle broke the all-time record when it went for auction. It sold for $300,000. Now, if you look at this young man, this picture here, you can tell that he was made for this. I mean, he's got that hat on his head, and he's got the banner, the championship banner in one hand, and he's in control of that big, beautiful cow on the other hand, with the other hand. And you can tell... Uh, this uh, young man, Ryder Day, he's not a uh, city boy, he's a country boy. You can just tell, he grew, up around, he grew up around livestock, probably goes back in his family for generations, and now he's paid for his and his brother's college education. Everything in this young man's life has led up to this. And there's no telling what this experience might lead to in the future. And the reason I'm talking about Ryder Day is because you and I are the same. I'm not saying that you and I can show prize-winning cattle. Uh, I certainly can't. I'm a city boy. I mean, if I'm in the same room as cattle, I'm leaving. I'm not going to wait around to see if it's Elsie the cow or bodacious the bull. I'm gone. So when I say we're the same as Ryder Day, here's what I mean. God uses everything in our lives to design us in a very unique and powerful way. Everything in your life, God uses to design you, to make you unique, to make you who you are. And I believe that there are six things, aspects of life that characterize who you are. The first of those is character. Character. Now when I talk about your character, I'm talking about those positive, strong, beneficial qualities of your life. Oftentimes when we talk about character, we mean moral attributes, moral qualities like integrity or truth-telling, things like that. For us as Christians, our character is rooted in a very unique fact that the world cannot understand. For us as Christians, our character is rooted in that we answer to God foremost. We answer to God foremost. What I mean is, we don't try to have good character, good morals, simply for our own sake, although that would, that would be nice. We don't simply try to have good character for the sake of others. But primarily, we try to have good character to honor God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is God who we put first. And so that comes with our 
Uh, it has an effect on our character as well. Christian character should be higher. It should be a stronger, higher, greater level than the character of the world. We don't always see that. It's not always true in, in life, but it should be. Because Christian character involves sacrifice. Christian character always involves sacrifice. What do I mean? Well, Jesus taught us in the Great Commission, if someone asks you for your coat, give them your shirt too. If someone forces you to walk a mile, at the end of that mile, don't stop, but walk with them another mile. Go the extra mile. And so that kind of sacrifice is uniquely Christian. The world doesn't understand that. But we do as followers of Christ. And so the world doesn't rise to that type of level of character, but that is our goal. Whether we reach it all the time or not, that is our standard. Character is a very important part of how God has made you. A second aspect of what makes you uniquely you, a part of your God-given design, is your heart. And by your heart... I'm not talking about uh, a lot of different things that we talk about when we mention heart, but I'm just talking specifically for today's purposes. I'm talking about your passions, what you're passionate about, where your heart is set. You know, all of us are passionate about different things. As Christians, as people who go to church, we're, we're passionate about different things. We, some of us are passionate about children's ministry, or others are passionate about prayer. Other people are passionate about apologetics, or evangelism, or youth ministry, or missions, or worship, or greeting people, or social issues. God has given us all different types of passions, and God uses all of us to inspire and minister to one another. And so when we talk about how God has designed you, there's a part of it where we need to ask, where's your heart? What are you passionate about? What gets you going? What gets you going as a Christian? What gets you excited as a Christian? You know, one of the, the devil's most prominent lies, his most popular lies, is that He's got two big ones that we have a tendency to believe in. And one of them is, well, I just don't have enough time to serve God. And that's just, a, that's just a lie straight from the pit of hell. You have the same 24 hours that I do, and we all have the same 24 hours that everyone else does. We all have the same amount of time. So it's really not about time. It's about priorities. But a second aspect, a second thing that we need to keep in mind uh, that is a lie straight from the devil is this. Serving God makes you miserable. Have you ever heard people express something like that? Oh, serving God, I, I, I'm hesitant to say yes. You know, I know the church needs this or, or someone needs to ask me for that. But I'm hesitant to say yes and agree to it because I know, I know it'll just make me miserable. Listen, that's not true. It's not true. You see, God allows you to serve Him according to your passions, according to your heart. God's given you a passion for something, and that's the area in which He wants you to serve Him. You know, when you're passionate, for example, about ministering to hurting people, God will find you a way to do that, just like we do that with our, our quilt ministry, our prayer quilt ministry. Okay, and God has given David Edwards a passion to do that, to provide that for the church, and it's a great ministry for those who are seriously ill. I'm passionate about the church. I always have been. Even as a child, I, I love the church. Even as a teenager, I love the church. And so when I was 18 years old and I 
came back from youth camp and I told my dad that God had called me to serve God in vocational ministry, my dad said, well, I knew that would happen. It wasn't any surprise to him because that's where my heart was. I may be talented at a lot of different other things that aren't necessarily church-related, but that's where my heart was. And so it was no surprise to him. So if you're thinking, well, I know that God wants me to serve him, but you know, if I agree and I agree to serve God, he's going to make me clean sewers in some third world country. No, he won't, unless that's where your heart is. And if it is, God bless you. God's going to allow you to serve him in the area where you're passionate about. Wherever your heart is, let's find a way for you to serve God there. A third part of what makes you uniquely you is your abilities. It's your abilities. Now, we all know what, what abilities are. Sometimes we call them natural abilities or God-given abilities, or sometimes we would even call them acquired skills. For example, I, I can't play the piano like Nancy can. I can't, I can't play the guitar. I can't play the, the bass or the drums. But we have people who can. We have people who do. You know, what God has given me an ability to do is speak in front of large crowds of people. It doesn't matter how big the crowd is. I, I can speak in front of a large crowd of people. And for some of you, you'd rather die than have to get up in front of a large group of people and, and, and talk to a large group. You know, but I've always been good at that, even as a child. In sixth grade, we uh, lived here in Lubbock, and I went to Hardwick Elementary. And in sixth grade, that was the grade where they bust us to a different side of town, and we went to, so we'd show up at school, and we'd have to get on another bus, and we'd go to this other school. And they took kids from that side of town and brought them to Hardwick and all of that. And I remember I had one teacher, I can't remember his name, uh, but I didn't like him very much because he was hard. And I actually got a B in that teacher's class because he gave us homework. Homework? What is homework? And I wasn't in the habit of being able to do homework. You know, when I got home, that was Gilligan's Island time. That wasn't homework time. And so I had some, some difficulties, some lessons I had to learn. But one of the things he had us do in that class was every single student in that class had to get up in front of the entire class and give a speech. And then at the end of the speech, the rest of the class members would critique you. And that was pretty intimidating. Little did I know that that was preparation for what would become a weekly occurrence. <laughs> Whether your abilities are present from birth, like some instrumentalists, they just, they, they somehow knew how to play the piano. They knew how to do whatever it is that they can do. Whether your natural abilities are present from birth or whether they're learned skills or maybe some of both, you know, your abilities are a part of what makes you unique. I'm not able to do many of the things that you can do. And so all of us need to do what we can for God's glory. A fourth aspect of what makes you unique are your resources. Your resources. We don't usually think of it that way because everything else is sort of internal. But your resources may be outside of yourself. But your resources, you know what they are. These are things that are available to you. Whether we're talking about money or possessions or something else, 
God has given each of us certain things that we are to manage and we are to use for Him. You may remember, if you were there, I'm, I'm certain you do remember, when we had the Easter service over at the drive-in. And we could have done that Easter service without a big, long trailer for everyone to stand upon, for all the people on stage to stand upon. We could have done it without the big, long trailer, but it would not have been very effective at all if we didn't have that trailer. Hardly anyone would have been able to see us if we didn't have a trailer. But we had someone who volunteered his trailer. And he came out there early there, that day and, hel and helped Gary and his crew set everything up. And it was simply a resource. It's just a trailer. It's simply a resource that we use. But it made a huge, huge difference. If we didn't have that, that trailer would have sat wherever it normally sits and it sits and it would have just been a trailer. But that trailer was turned into a platform for God to receive glory. And so that's what happens when we take the normal things that we have and we turn them over to God and we say, God, use them. Use whatever I have for your glory. God can take a normal thing and make it something wonderful. If you have a resource and you place that resource in God's hands, God can do some pretty great things with it. So what resources do you have? What is it that you own that you can give over to God? And you, if you sort of question, well, I'm not sure what I have, think about it this way. What has God placed in your hands? And what can you turn back over to the Lord? A fifth part of what makes you unique are your insights. By insights, I'm talking about lessons that you've learned along the way, experiences you've had. And we've all had good experiences. We've all had bad and even tragic experiences. But God teaches us in the good times. God teaches us in the bad times if we're willing to listen. And if we are willing to listen, if we do learn what God has to say to us, it may be that God wants us to share what we've learned with other people who are going through a similar experience, whether good or bad. We know what 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 says. It says that God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we can comfort others. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. That's the way of life. That's the way of God's kingdom. God ministers to us. We learn things. We gain insights. It's not just for your own private consumption. It's so that you can be a blessing to other people. And so what have you been through? Whether good or bad, that can be an encouragement, that can be a comfort to other people. And if you're willing to share your story, the, the entire body of Christ can be built up. There's a sixth and final aspect of what makes you uniquely you, and it's your spiritual endowments. And by that, I mean these are supernatural blessings that come from the Holy Spirit living and, and working in your life. Spiritual endowments are mindsets or words or actions that rise above the normal human experience. We've all seen the tragic events of uh, recent weeks and the rioting and the looting and all of the response to what very easily appears to be a, a, a tragic and unnecessary action. But you remember a number of months ago in Dallas, Texas, when the brother of Botham Jean in court forgave and hugged the former Dallas police officer that shot Botham. 
That kind of action, that rises above a normal human display of emotion. That is a magnificent display of God's grace and God's mercy. You see, when God spiritually endows us with, with something like that, it shows up when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, how, how do I become filled with the Holy Spirit? By yielding yourself to God. If you yield yourself to God and say, okay, God, I'm not going to live for myself today. I'm going to live for you. Spirit of God, do what you want through me. When you yield yourself to God, that is when the Holy Spirit fills your life and can do things through you that are beyond your own normal human experience. God can use you in supernatural ways. And so your character, your heart, your abilities, your resources, your insights, your spiritual endowments, all of these elements are what make up your unique design. These are how you are designed to serve God. Everything that makes you uniquely you goes into how God wants to use you. And how God wants to use you is what the New Testament calls gifts of grace. In fact, the word charis means grace. The Greek word charis is the word for grace. And the word charisma is literally grace gifts. Gifts of grace. And when you understand how you are designed, and you begin to serve God according to your design, God uses you as an instrument of His grace. And so your spiritual gift, your, more literally in the New Testament, it should be translated, your gift of grace. That's what it literally means. Your gift of grace is your ministry your service to God, and what that does when you put it to use, it builds up and it edifies the body of Christ. You see, God may, at the moment of your salvation, He may have given you a supernatural spiritual endowment. He may have blessed you at the very moment that you were saved, but I want you to understand that's only a small portion of your overall gift of grace. You have to remember that Paul had a companion by the name of Timothy, and he received his gift of grace well after he was saved. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul says, Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands upon you. That wasn't when Timothy got saved. That's when Timothy started his ministry. And so Timothy's gift of grace, his service to the church, began that day when the elders laid their hands upon him. And I want you to remember that your gift of grace, your ministry, it might change over the years. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31, Paul tells us to desire the greater gifts. And that only makes sense if there's a possibility of our giftedness, of our service to God, our gift of grace changes over the years. Why would our gift change over the years? Because we change over the years. Over the years, God builds our character, and over the years, God gives us a, a heart for different things, a passion for different things. Over the years, God refines our abilities, and they grow. 
Over the years, God gives us new resources. Over the years, God brings new insights through our experiences. Over the years, God blesses us with new spiritual endowments. And so remember that according to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, God has given you one gift. According to that verse, I know it's very common for us to think, well, I have multiple spiritual gifts. I have a predominant gift, I have a secondary gift, I have a tertiary gift. Well, according to the Bible, you have one. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, Peter writes, As each one has received a gift, singular, employed in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And so if we've got in the habit of saying, well, I have multiple spiritual gifts, it might benefit us if we had a more biblical view of what our spiritual gift really is. You see, you can have one spiritual gift, and it can have many facets, like a diamond might have many facets. I, I would encourage you to think of your spiritual gift as a painting, as a canvas. And God takes his palette, and maybe for you, when God takes his palette, and he, he dips his paintbrush, and he paints that canvas that is you to make a magnificent masterpiece, maybe you can consider that, that God gives you a whole lot of mercy. God has just given you an extra measure of mercy. And you have a merciful heart. And then God dips his paintbrush in his palette again. And he gives you a healthy dose of helps. And he wants that mercy to be activated. And then God dips, dips his paintbrush in that palette again. And he gives you a lesser amount of discernment. And so when we look at it, it might look like multiple spiritual gifts. But there's one canvas and that's you. And there's one gift and that's the way you serve God. The way you serve God is that gift that God has given you. So every canvas is absolutely unique. Every masterpiece of God, which is you, is absolutely unique. Every child of God is absolutely unique. And God can make a lot of different beautiful, wonderful paintings from the same palette. And God has done that with you. And so, you're, and so when we talk about spiritual gifts, when we talk about... Charisma, when we talk about grace gifts, that's what charisma means, grace gifts. These are the means by which God works out His grace among humans. And how does God work out His grace among humans? It happens when we serve God according to the way God has designed us. If when you and I discover our design... We discover our character and our heart and our abilities and our resources and our insights and our spiritual endowments. And we discover God has made me this way. He hasn't made me that way. Someone else is that way. God has made me this way. And so now based on how God has made me, I'm going to serve God accordingly. When that happens, God edifies. He builds up his entire church. Because we're no longer putting square pegs into round holes. We're putting square pegs into square holes and round pegs into round holes. And everybody is functioning according to their passions and their character and all of those things. When we all serve God according to the way that we're designed, God receives the most glory and His church is built up. Now I want to show you one example from the Bible how God designed a certain person a certain way so He could serve God in a very certain way, very unique way. And that person I'm going to show you is a guy by the name of David. It's not me, it's King David. But he wasn't yet king. He was about to be. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord tells the prophet Samuel to anoint a new king to replace Saul because God had rejected Saul. 
And the new king was going to be one of Jesse's sons. Jesse had eight sons. And so the sons of Jesse were brought before Samuel one by one, and Samuel would anoint the right one. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6, here's what we read. When they entered, he, that Samuel, looked at Eliab, that's the oldest and the greatest of Jesse's sons, looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Verse 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees, not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Verse 8, Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, Well, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he, the youngest, he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose. And went to Ramah. David, not his brothers, was the right one to be king because he had the right character. Immediately after being anointed king, did David dress himself in royal regalia? Did he put a crown upon his own head? Did he become proud? No, we learn that immediately after he was anointed king, David went back to being a shepherd. He went back into the fields and tended the sheep that was in his care. David was the right one to be king because he had the right heart. David was passionate about his duties as a shepherd. He cared deeply for his sheep, and God needed a king who would care deeply for God's sheep, God's people. You see, it takes lambs about a year before their teeth come in, and I'm told that in ancient days, a caring shepherd like David would first lead the young lambs out into the pasture to eat the very tips of the grass, the delicate tips, because those young lambs had no teeth, and that's all they could handle. And then when they're finished, the shepherd would go and get the oldest sheep, and if he was watching any cattle, he would bring the cows out as well, take the, the old cows, and he would bring them out into the field, and they would eat the middle part of the soft stocks, and finally, the healthy, young, strong sheep and the, and the young, strong cattle would be let out because they had the strongest teeth, and they could chew the lowest part of the grass next to the roots. David cared about his duties. He knew how to feed the sheep, 
And God would use him in mighty ways to do that. David was the right one to be king because he had the right abilities. Somewhere along the way, David learned to play the lyre, L-Y-R-E. This is a little guitar-type instrument, sort of like a miniature harp. And, And when King Saul later on would fall into bouts of depression and become madly insane, David would play and sing and calm him and comfort him. And even later, after David ascended the throne, David would use his lyre and play his lyre and use his voice to create beautiful psalms of praise to God. And these psalms will be sung all throughout Israel, throughout Israel's history, and even today. We sing some of these psalms today. God gave David the ability to create music, and David didn't waste it. He didn't just set it aside. He didn't say, oh, I don't have the time, God. He didn't say, oh, you know, God, if I use my talents and my abilities for you, I'm just going to be miserable. He didn't use all the excuses we like to use. But he used his abilities for God, and many people were blessed. David was the right one to be king because he had the right resources. You know, being a, being a shepherd out in the middle of the fields it has to be a lonely job, and sometimes a young shepherd would take a slingshot, and he would do a little target practice, and he knew, after a while, the best kinds of stones to use, the best ones that, that worked. And they were the ones that were smoothed over by the waters of a river or a brook. Those are the best ones for a slingshot. And later, when Israel needed to defeat Goliath and the Philistines, young David was just the right man. He didn't need Saul's heavy armor. He simply walked down to the brook, the Bible says, And he picked up five smooth stones. They were smooth because of the the water that God provided. And all he needed was one to defeat Goliath. David knew that every resource that God gives can be used for God's glory. He was the right one to be king. He was the right one to be king because he had the right insights. There's an ancient Jewish commentary that says that King Saul, who preceded David, was a bad king because King Saul had no flaws. Think about that. A bad king because he had no flaws. This is how the Bible introduces Saul. A choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than than he among the sons of Israel. From his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Saul was perfect in every way. And that made him the most imperfect king. When someone has no flaws, they can become arrogant. And that was certainly true of Saul. When someone has no flaws, they have no need of God. But David, he was a man deeply flawed. And maybe it was because of his flaws that he pursued God so hard. He became a man after God's own heart. David had to pay some terrible prices for his sin, for his failures, but he is, even to this day, considered Israel's greatest king. And David was the right one to be king because of his spiritual endowments. It was the Lord that gave David victory over Saul. He didn't take that into his own hands. He waited for the Lord. It was the Lord who gave David victory over Israel's enemies. And the very last verse that we just read about David's anointing as king includes this phrase. It says, And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. 
and reminds me of this powerful truth. If God is with us, who can be against us? You see, God designs every single person in his family for a very specific purpose. There is a ministry that God wants you to fulfill. If you are still breathing, God's not done with you yet. He has something for you to do. It might not be the same ministry that you had years before, but God has designed you for something. You may say, well, I don't have the same abilities that I had before. God is not as interested in your abilities as He is in your availability. God wants you to be willing to say yes to Him. If today you're willing to say yes to God and you want to discuss with me how you can best serve Him, I would invite you to get in touch with me. One way you can do that. You can text the word SERVE to the, our phone number 806-375-4240.